This is a WKYT podcast. Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Hope you're enjoying your weekend. A little bit later, one of the incoming members of the Lexington City Council joins us. Liz Sheehan won in an upset race over longtime 5th District Councilman Bill Farmer. Councilwoman-elect Liz Sheehan will be joining us later. But first, Kentucky's Commissioner of Public Health, Dr. Stephen Stack, is here. Commissioner Stack has had the kind of year that he could never have imagined when he went from running an emergency room to overseeing Kentucky's response to COVID-19. We're in a tough surge right now as we approach the holidays and people are forced to make very tough choices about tradition and safety. Dr. Stack helped outline the new mandates handed down by the governor this week. Commissioner Stack joining us this morning. We really appreciate that. Thank you. Good morning, Bill. Dr. Stack, how do you assess the situation that, that Kentucky is facing right now as we are heading into Thanksgiving this coming week and the holiday period begins? Uh, Bill, it's un unfortunately a pretty dark situation. I'm gonna let someone else's words make my points for me though. So Admiral Brett Gerard, who's the Assistant Secretary for Health in the uh, Trump administration uh, in a press conference yesterday said, quote, this is not crying wolf. We've had 1 million cases documented over the past week. Our rate of rise is higher than it was in the summer. Hospitalizations are going up 25% week over week. Deaths are going up. This is the worst rate of rise in cases we've seen in the pandemic in the United States. Right now, there's no sign of flattening. We all have to be incredibly concerned. I think the Admiral captured it. We've all got to be very worried. And yet, uh, you know, we all feel uh, at this point uh, all kinds of uh, fatigue with this. This has been a very difficult year. Uh, can we now uh, gather ourselves and handle an even greater surge if that's our fate in the weeks ahead? Well, you know, Bill, we can't change the world around us. We can just change our own choices and our actions and how we respond to it. And I think this is within our control. It's not easy, but it's within our control. Uh, we've been saying for a long time, you've got to wear masks, stay more than six feet away from each other, wash your hands, stay home if you're sick, don't go out in public if you're sick so we don't spread disease. It's the same tools we've had all along. They work. We've shown they work. They, they've worked in every state and every nation that has tried them and stuck with them. But it's hard and we get fatigued and we get tired of doing that. And when that happens, we take our eye off the ball. The disease is still there. It escalates and it causes crises. Right now, North Dakota is the worst place on the planet Earth to be. North Dakota has horrific statistics, hospitals filling, and will have all sorts of uh, horrible consequences in the months ahead. Kentucky need not go down that path. Uh, and that's why we had to take action yesterday, painful actions, but actions that are necessary to keep people safe. Let's outline quickly these, uh, these steps that are now being taken. Those are, are in effect as this program is running over the weekend and the, the school changes will take effect on Monday. And why those specific entities uh, have been chosen for the restrictions? All right, so Bill, starting, it's actually starting tomorrow, Friday at five o'clock, these orders will go into effect. So all indoor venues, uh, businesses can have no more than 25 people per room. And that includes funerals and weddings. Restaurants and bars are closed to indoor dining. So no indoor dining. Uh, they can do and are encouraged to do delivery and to go and even outdoor service as long as they comply with the open tent requirements. Uh, gyms, fitness centers and pools have to maintain six feet distancing between patrons at all times. 
They have to discontinue and cease all group classes, but they can have up to 33% occupancy. Uh, masks are required in the gyms. Uh, there's also for schools, they're all asked to go K through 12 to all virtual uh, beginning Monday and to stay that way until after Thanksgiving, um, K through five can go back to in person if their county is not in red uh, early in December. Uh, these areas were picked um, because we know that it is group gatherings where people come together in close proximity uh, that spreads disease. And it has been in the White House report week after week after week. And there's been plenty of scientific studies that show that when we go to bars and restaurants, when we go to things like funerals and weddings where we get in close proximity, uh, we're embracing each other, we're celebrating, shouting, singing, those kinds of things are what cause infection. And so we've tried to be more targeted this time, Bill, but, but please, don't, don't let anyone misunderstand. Targeted does not mean difficult or painful. And uh, I hate that the virus has put us in this position, um, but these are the steps that we think in a more focused way can help blunt the, the horrible climb we see in the disease right now. Do you feel, and you're, you give the advice, the medical advice uh, to, to the governor who has to then to make the decision that uh, often uh, you know ends up uh, in a, a political context, but uh, do you think this response uh, is appropriate and, and is adequate for the situation we're facing? I do think it's appropriate, and I think it's adequate to the best of our ability looking at the knowledge and the learning we've had over these last nine months. I mean, we're trying to, to tailor the interventions as narrowly as possible to have the best positive impact and the least additional harm. Now, the problem, Bill, is, and this is very hard, it's very hard for us to relate with this, but if we don't do these things, what's happened? And we've seen it. This is the third major wave of disease in the United States. We've seen it in New England. We've seen it in the far west of the country and down into the Sun Belt. And now we're gonna see it up in the Midwest. When the disease gets bad enough, when the hospitals get taxed and overrun enough, when enough people start getting hurt, either from persistent illness or they die, society does these things. People get scared, they stop going out, the businesses close and get hurt. That's what happens, it's happening everywhere. It's, we've seen this pattern now, nine months in, we've seen it over and over. So you have a choice. Do you let the disease take all those lives and hurt all those people irreparably and still cause all the carnage economically? Or do you step in and save lives and then get back to work and back to business as fast as you can once the disease is under control? So it really seems to me like something of um, a false choice. Why would you want to take all the human harm that's irreparable when you're going to get to the similar result at the end of the day uh, if you don't take these steps? Yeah, but you do feel that the sacrifice on the front end in this case uh, will yield better results than, uh, uh, than if uh, things just took their course. I do, Bill. So I, I shared some graphs at the press conference a couple days ago. We've had three escalations in Kentucky, but most Kentuckians probably haven't noticed them. They've noticed the impacts on their lives because the interventions stopped the escalations. But when we did Healthy at Home in March, we stopped an exponential climb. And we show bar graphs that, that show this. And we stayed in a plateau for almost three months. Then we had an exponential decline start again in the summer when the second wave hit people out you know, in Arizona and, and Texas and Florida. And we stopped it again and we held a plateau with the mask mandate for about 11 weeks. And now we've got the worst and most severe climb. And so now we have to take action again. So the, the real challenge will be, will Team Kentucky rally? Will we come together and do what needs to be done and stop the climb again? You know, the good thing, Bill, 
our doctors, our nurses, our therapists, our hospitals, they have gotten better at treating the disease. People have a better chance of recovering and not dying from it. But that relies on enough doctors, enough nurses, enough hospital beds to care for them. And I think the public really, really had better think carefully about not taking for granted how exhausted these doctors and nurses are and all the other professionals who work in hospitals. And, and how, as a clinician who commits your, your life to caring for others and helping others, how even for them, you can start to get the resentment when you go to work and see all the carnage and then you walk outside and see people flaunting all these simple rules like masks and social distancing that would make all of it unnecessary. So, so I, I urge people, please don't take for granted the healers who themselves are not well now and who are struggling under the duress that they face treating people with COVID. Dr. Stack, uh, you have run emergency rooms for uh, some 20 years before you uh, took on this role, and you've obviously had uh, some very tough conversations with people uh, in that setting over the years. So you've had to, to tell them of, of, of loved ones passing. You've obviously uh, told people, uh, you know, you, you go back to drinking or taking drugs, you're going to die, that sort of thing. What do you say to people right now as they're uh, planning their holidays in Kentucky in the, in the way that you would talk to uh, a patient that face-to-face? Uh, well, thanks, Bill. You know, I would tell people repeatedly, I'm in the business of making recommendations. Other people make decisions. So ultimately, each one of us has to make choices. And I had to come to a place of comfort as a physician, respecting other people making their choices. And I want people to know, I still respect. It's ultimately your choice. I just have to tell you risks and benefits and make sure my obligation is you understand those as well as I can help you to, and you can make those choices. The problem with the disease like this, Bill, is my choices can hurt you. And that's where the problem is. If I chose to take a risk and paid for it with the loss of my life as a physician, if I've done my job, I'm gonna sleep okay with that because you made your choice. But if you make a choice and it causes someone next to you to lose their life, that's a little bit more difficult and that's where this gets complicated. So here's my message to everybody as we look at the Thanksgiving week next week, as we look at these new actions we've had to take, be kind, be caring, love your neighbor, um, practice what we preach and care about each other. This is not about beliefs and ideology. This is about a disease that does not give one squat what we believe or what we wanna believe or what we think is real or not. It's a disease that comes after all of us just the same. And for those most vulnerable, they pay with it uh, with their lives. And so please, let's just all come together, get through the next couple months there's a couple vaccines that look incredibly promising. I have every reason to be confident that 2021 is gonna get a lot better. And by the time we enter the summer months, we could have uh, something that approximates much more of the lives we miss so much. And we need that encouragement. Let's talk about the, this uh, promise of vaccines. Uh, news does appear to be very encouraging. We have uh, two that have uh, uh, tremendous efficacy. We also have uh, some reports uh, uh, going into late week that there is a third uh, vaccine that uh, is proving uh, out very well uh, in uh, England. What do you want Kentuckians to know about the vaccines and the way that we'll deliver those? Right, so it's gonna be difficult initially because first of all, <laughs> this is a modern scientific marvel. I mean, we have a disease that didn't exist a year ago and we've designed now not one, but numerous vaccines and vaccines that at least in the early data the manufacturers are sharing could be 95% effective. That is astounding, Bill. I mean, you have to put in context, it is a modern human scientific 
marvel and achievement. It'd probably be one of the seven wonders of the modern world in magnitude, what we've done here as, as a species. Um, those vaccines can be incredibly helpful to take the worst edge off of uh, the risk of a massive amount of people getting sick at the same time, that the healthcare system can't keep up, and that people who have nothing else to prevent, uh, protect them from this disease um, now have a tool that they can use to protect themselves. That's every reason to be really overjoyed with optimism. Um, in the beginning, uh, these vaccines are going to be hard to deal with because at least one of them has to be stored at an incredibly low minus 114 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, there's going to be small quantities of these things that are going to take time for us to, um, uh, to roll out and deploy to everybody. Uh, so it'll take time to do this, which means in the first couple months, it's going to be healthcare workers, first responders, and then the most vulnerable among us, and then essential workers, uh, which uh, will include a whole host of people we rely on every day. And then, then hopefully by late spring and early summer, anyone in America who wants the vaccine. And as we try to get, uh, you know, an image in our minds of what uh, what we're going to be uh, facing here as, as we try to, to roll those out, I mean, uh, even with the most vulnerable and then, as you say, it gets to everybody, are we talking about people maybe going to their pharmacy? Uh, are we talking about long public lines where potentially uh, people would be uh, waiting to, to get their shot? So in the beginning, we'll probably rely heavily on hospitals to get to the healthcare workers. It will also use pharmacies. The federal government has contracted with CVS and Walgreens to help vaccinate all the nursing home residents in the United States. And then we'll have bigger uh, rollout with the chain pharmacies and, and local pharmacies across the country because they have people who are already trained to do this and they have the ability to store the medicine. And then as we get more vaccines that can be stored at refrigerator temperature in larger quantities, then you'll start to see more access in, in perhaps clinics and regular doctor's offices and other places. Um, and so it'll be really, it'll be just like a wartime uh, logistics challenge, which is why General Perna is the leader uh, for logistics for the federal government to help us to roll this out um, in phases uh, really over probably a six to eight month period. When this is over, and we all wait for that day, uh, you know, almost like a, a, gl a glorious day when we can uh, finally say that uh, at least it is uh, under control. Uh, you know, you have concerns that here in Kentucky and of course around the globe that there will be uh, problems that will carry on as a result. Uh, emotional health uh, has been impacted. We have uh, evidence that people have uh, returned to opioids in, in big numbers, this sort of thing. Uh, is public health ready to continue to respond to uh, what may be a long-term fallout from COVID-19? Well, Bill, I think wherever there's a dark cloud, there can sometimes be found a silver lining, right? I hope that the uh, Kentuckians and American people appreciate just how important public health is. Uh, in a normal day before coronavirus, uh, most people probably aren't aware of all the things public health does to support helping people reach their full human potential. Uh, I hope after this, there's a much higher recognition for just how important what we do is because you, you, you touch on things, whether it's low cancer screening rates, high tobacco use rates, high substance use disorder rates, uh, in, in higher levels of uh, adverse childhood events that occur in Kentucky relative to other states, maternal child health and wellness, these and so many other things are all critical things we have to improve on in Kentucky um, because our, our performance and our statistics are just not very good. And, and I'm, I'm hopeful, Bill, I'm hopeful that 
people and society in general and our elected leaders will see the value uh, that public health provides and help us to emerge from this with a stronger, better resourced, better operating public health system. And, and I look forward to that day when we can then make really good progress on those, those other important things, which you're right, have really taken a hit like so many other things during COVID-19. Dr. Stack, thank you so much for uh, spending a few minutes with us and updating us. We appreciate that very much. Thank you, Bill. It's a pleasure to be here. Happy Thanksgiving. To you. And to you. Thank you. And we hope you'll stay with us on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. We'll meet Liz Sheehan, who has won an upset race on the Lexington City Council when we come back. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. We're glad you're here. There will be changes at Lexington City Hall in January when several new faces will be on the Urban County Council. One of those is Liz Sheehan, who won in an upset over longtime council member Bill Farmer. Sheehan has a PhD in psychology and is a lecturer at the University of Kentucky. Now she will represent the fifth council district, which includes some upscale neighborhoods along Tate's Creek, Fontaine and Richmond Roads, the Chevy Chase Business District, and then it takes in some areas around Winchester Road and some other uh, neighborhoods uh, that sprawl into that part of town. Councilwoman-elect Liz Sheehan joining us today. Thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Well, congratulations uh, on your victory. And uh, tell us, uh, first of all, uh, why you ran for city council. Um, so for me, I really think about the future of Lexington. I am raising a daughter here. I am a faculty member at UK, so I teach a lot of undergraduates, hundreds every semester, really. Um, I'm a Girl Scout troop leader. I, so I work with a lot of youth in our community. So I'm always thinking about the opportunities that and what our city is gonna look like in five, 10, and 20 years. Um, so that was one of my primary reasons to run for this office. But I also think that we are facing some very difficult challenges in the upcoming years, um, particularly with the things that our city is going through right now in our nation and our world. And to tackle those challenges, it's going to take some new perspectives um, and some and, and a little bit of changing in the way that we approach some of these these very big issues. It was a tight race uh, and it took a re-canvas to settle it, but you defeated a longtime member of the council and one-time candidate for mayor, Bill Farmer. Uh, how did you win the race? Did you work really hard during this campaign? Um, yeah, I think that people will find that the work that I put into my campaign is the same work that I will put in as a council member. I plan to treat this as a full-time job and um, and I will be out working every day and meeting with people, um, obviously virtually, but um, really trying to work on um, pushing forward and making progress um, every moment that I can. I respect Mr. Farmer and the service that he has given to our community, but I am very excited about getting started in January. You know, it's an intriguing district, uh, the, the fifth council district with those established uh, neighborhoods uh, uh, along, uh, as we said, Tates Creek Road and in, uh, in, in that uh, Ashland Park area, and then uh, business sectors like Chevy Chase, and then it goes over to, uh, you know, I was looking at the map over to Winchester Road and, and that. Uh, so uh, what did you hear from people in that uh, sort of diverse uh, uh, of Lexington as you were campaigning? Yeah, I think that uh, what people don't realize is how diverse the different neighborhoods are um, in our district. So we oftentimes think of like Ashland, Ashland Park, Chevy Chase, those areas, um, but we do expand quite broadly across lots of different parts of the city. And I think that 
the issues that we face here in the district reflect the issues that we face across the city. So we have um, definitely a lot of talk about development and housing um, and how that is moving forward as we grow as a city. But we also have to talk about some of the things that we're talking about at the city level, like economics and meeting people's basic needs, um, supporting local businesses, and the work of the Racial Justice and Equality um, Commission that has been going on recently. I was gonna ask about that. There has been a lot of discussion within the community about uh, inclusion, about uh, how uh, the city can only move forward if people uh, move forward together. Uh, how will you work to, uh, to see that through? Actually, I was just listening in on one of the council meetings last night um, and the mayor's office is planning to put forth recommendations based on the commission report that just recently came out. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at it, but I encourage everybody to look at it. It's a 68 page report. It includes recommendations from all of the subcommittees of the commission that the mayor put together. And um, I'm interested to see what the mayor recommends and then going forward with the community continually um, to push for, I think, making this commission permanent, which has been one of the recommendations, um, and finding a way to have accountability to these, um, to these recommendations and actions as we go forward, because I think this is something that can't just be proposed and then kind of quietly fall away, right? This is something that is gonna take long-term work um, that's gonna be continual, that's gonna have to involve lots and lots of feedback from the community. So one, me as a teacher, um, I really work a lot and have very good, have skills about um, engaging people and communicating information to others. So that is one of the skills that I hope, those are the skills that I hope to bring to this as well, is pulling the community in and really um, listening and incorporating their feedback, because I think that is just so important. You mentioned the battle uh, with uh, COVID-19, and it has been very difficult, uh, of course, across uh, the country and the world. But here in Lexington, there have been more than 100 deaths. We know there's going to be a tremendous economic toll on businesses and uh, on the city's finances. Uh, how are you prepared to tackle that when you assume office in January? We have about a minute left. Yeah, um, so I do commend our city for the work that they're doing to provide increasing opportunities for people to get tested and to work with the contact tracers at our health department. And in fact, if you listen to the mayor's neighborhood summit this week on the COVID session, we are being used as a model for other cities and states on how to do this work. I think we also need to work on community buy-in because if the community isn't following the guidelines and restrictions that are being put in place, the rates are not gonna go down. So that piece is really important for all of us to be wearing our masks, social distancing, um, but also supporting local businesses. For example, like my family of three, um, we are having our small Thanksgiving dinner together, but we ordered our entire meal from different places around the city. We ordered turkey from one place, sides from another place, pies from another place. So we are trying to do mm -hmm. our part to support the local economy as well. All right, Liz Sheehan, who will soon represent the 5th Council District right in the heart of Lexington on the uh, Lexington Fayette Urban County Council. Thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it and good luck. Thank you. And hope you'll stay with us. We'll be back on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers in just a moment.
Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. As you know, COVID-19 is surging from coast to coast. This week, the nation soared past 11 million cases. And still, there is no new COVID relief bill in sight in Congress. Democrats are calling for a big and dramatic package. Republicans are insisting on a more targeted approach. Our chief political analyst, Greta Van Susteren, has more. Hello, I'm Greta Van Susteren, and here is your full court fast break. The COVID-19 crisis hitting the U.S. harder than ever before. Infections at an all-time high. With the medical crisis comes the economic crisis, slashing jobs and incomes. Americans need relief. What are the lame duck Congress and outgoing president doing about the economic crisis? Nothing. You heard right, nothing. A whole slew of COVID protections from prior COVID relief bills are about to end, and stimulus talks are not even at a standstill. It's worse. They are just not happening at all. Nothing. Washington needs to get its act together. If it does not, on December 26, nearly 12 million people could lose federal unemployment benefits. And at the end of the year, with eviction and foreclosure moratoriums ending, tens of millions of people could lose their homes. It does not have to be this way. There's roughly $130 billion left over in the expired Paycheck Protection Program. Congress and the White House could figure out a way to repurpose that money and give Americans the help they need. But our leaders are not doing that. And there is no chance of them doing it if they don't at least talk to each other. Washington knows it is failing us. And I can't figure out why they would be so cruel and not work together for all the American families scraping by. You would think the politicians in Washington would be embarrassed while millions of their constituents struggle to keep a roof over their heads and food on the table. These politicians are getting their paychecks courtesy of you, the taxpayer. By the way, if you have a job, if you don't do your job, do you get paid? Want more Full Court Press? Tune in Sundays. We bring politics home covering the national stories that impact you. Well, it is a good question. And remember that you can catch Full Court Press with Greta Van Susteren this morning at 1130 on WKYT. That's Kentucky Newsmakers. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you bright and early this week on WKYT This Morning. And we hope you have a nice Thanksgiving week ahead.